are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I'm one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome in. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome in. We are once again down one of our three hosts here in Derek, but we are still going from California to Canada on this Wimbledon edition of this podcast with Mr. John Reed. Hopping in, you can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for Tidbits Tennis, which is his own brand. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. Thanks, man. We may as well call this the action episode or the action, uh, heavy <laughs> action episode of uh, of the pod, considering two-thirds of the hosts. Yes, we do have a third voice here that's going to hop on, and that's Mr. Avery Zimmerman. He's no stranger to this podcast. He's been on a few times before. You can find him at azimmerman underscore one on Twitter. He is a tennis editor and soccer editor for the Action Network. Avery, thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I think the first time I was on was Wimbledon last year, so this is a fun anniversary. Yeah, you were. That was uh, ahead of my trip to Italy, where I was actually watching Sinner go up two sets right uh, in uh with a, a lively crowd an italian it's actually an irish pub <laughs> in the heart of rome uh but it was still a, a lively italian crowd backing their countrymen and then we were all bummed tends, tends to happen tends <laughs> yeah. to happen another way. that was last year we are on to this year wimbledon in 2023 now quick what did we win? What did we learn segment? Uh, since we didn't have too many picks last episode, I, I'll take care of our accountability real quick. Wins, we had Kashmanovic on the money line versus Vukic. Barrer, money line plus 24 versus Jari. Eubanks, who just won again into the final in Mallorca, plus 151 versus Shelton. Losses, JJ Wolf blew three match points. Uh, and then the set to not close out 2-0 versus Van Ash. Thank you, JJ. Uh, no tie break in set one for Barrer Jari. We lost less to the end money line. My Elias Emer call was terrible. He went down in straights, but live and learn. All right, guys. We're not here to talk about the past. We're here to talk about the future. The fortnight ahead at the All England Club. Bust out the strawberries and cream. And unlike a few weeks ago where it felt like we had an open field to take the title with no Rafa, who owns the French Open. And Novak Djokovic is fit and a decided favorite here. At minus 150 to win, and looking to win his fifth Wimbledon in a row and the eighth in his career, which would tie Roger Federer for the most ever. No one except Roger, Nadal, Novak, and Andy Murray has won this tournament since 2002. Pretty staggering. Now, of late, though, there have been different names in the finals. Kyrgios made it last year, was up a set versus Novak. Matteo Berrettini in 2021, Kevin Anderson in 2018, Chilich in 2017, Milos Ronich in 2016. So the outright champion market hasn't provided a ton of value. There's certainly money to be had, though, on the player that will be standing on the opposite side of Novak in the final. So that's truly up for grabs. What do you guys think? Are you all Team Novak here? Any surprises here on the in terms of the outright? Certainly wouldn't bet it. I am lucky enough to, and these this is the fun part about slams too. I w- I don't think about betting the Australian Open futures in advance. Because honestly, you don't really need to. No one's informed. No, you're not going to get someone just ripped. Through. Maybe you can. Sorry, you might get one person that rips through the Australian summer, and their odds die before the draw comes out. Or, you know, you can't have got really, really strong odds on them ahead of time. But the French Open and Wimbledon. The fun part of these two slams is one player plays really well for four or five months, and their odds are gone. Right? Or they're they're better odds that you could have had pre-draw months in advance. That you know, Bet three six five Unibet, or at least Bet three six five has up all season long. 
And that's where and the U.S. Open is the other way around. You don't really want to bet it early because by that point, you don't know who's going to be physically gassed and not able to, to perform at that event. So I'm not going to bet anything on Novak here just because I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of even money and minus 110s from uh, February and March. I was joking about this with a few people in a group chat that I, I DCA'd every single bet. I had into a Novak Wimbledon future at that time. So if I every bet that I won, if it returned, you know, $184, that's four bucks going into Novak at the at Wimbledon. And I just added up to positions that add up to a few hundred bucks. I'm happy with those. Um, and obviously huge CLV. I did that with Donna Vekic on the women's side. I saw a hundred to one. Uh, and threw like 25 bucks on it a few months ago. It's now down to 25 to one. So she's got no chance of winning the event. But hey, I have massive CLV on Donna Vekic as well. So little bit of little bit of, of happy happiness even though i know there's just no chance she wins i mean it is a little bit crazy to think you know having done previews for two grand slams so far and always having someone in like the plus 800 plus 900 plus 11 12 i mean it's novak at minus 150 alcaraz at plus 325 daniel medvedev is the third favorite on the board at 20 to 1 <laughs> like it's pretty nuts and uh i think yeah i don't know how much you want to invest you know in terms of your portfolio on the outright market you're better off if you want to fade novak in a certain spot or you think that a player can wimbledon you might as well just take the other side in a match because he's not going to get less than is there anyone where he's less than minus 400 maybe carlos that's it so you'll get a good great price on someone individually if you want to keep fading but uh your player even if you take an outright then has to go and win some matches might as well just fade him in a match love that now the quarterfinals here though have provided opportunities for some surprise players to, to be in a position to cash a quarter winner ticket uh, last year david Gaffin, christian garin even taylor fritz that was the furthest he'd made it in this tournament so far cam nori made it into the semis curios i mean he got kind of lucky because berrettini got covid and i think rba did too so that's pretty good 2021 hachanov fuchovic was in the quarterfinals in 2021 FAA, Hubie Hercash is the furthest he's made it. He made it in the semis in 2021. Berrettini, that's when he broke through and made the final. Dennis Shapovalov was in the semifinals of the 2021 Wimbledon. Almost beat Novak, too. Mm. Well, he also pushed him, at least. (laughs) Pushed him. (laughs) Pushed him, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. As soon as I said that, I was like, I thought it was five for some reason. As soon as I said, I was like, that was only three sets. But I think there were a couple seven fives, seven sixes in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and he he was certainly up a break, at least in the first set. So not almost beat him, but yeah, seven six seven five seven five. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. It was just, it was a close match at the very least. Twenty nineteen got then again. Guido Pea, Sam Query, RBA. So we're gonna have some chances here uh, on the quarter market. While the outright market might be a tall order to uh, to get to the window. All right, guys. I always like to talk about the grounds in these episodes. Uh, to win the championship, you'll have to win seven matches in a row on grass. So let's talk about. The courts here. Center court got about 15,000 people that can fit into that thing. It's got a retractable roof. So if there is rain, we can still have some action going on. Court one also has a retractable roof, about 12,000 people in that one. Court two, it's known as a graveyard of champions, as many people have lost there over time. Serena, Pete Sampras. Court three, also uh, a show court. And then court 12 and 18, those are the last two show courts. The outdoor courts are four through 17 and court 19. Court 11 is where 
Isner played the longest match ever versus Nicholas Mahout in 2011. Lasted 11 hours, five minutes. So I always like to to kind of know the lay of the land, know where guys have played over time, especially as we get deeper into this thing. If a guy's played court two a couple times and another guy hasn't played it or, you know, he's coming out to center court for the first time. Some to always consider. I don't think it's like, you know, make or break your handicap, but definitely think each court's going to have its own environment. In addition, this year, fans can expect to hear coaching going on during the matches with Wimbledon participating in the tour-wide trial of what they call off-court coaching. The name is a little misleading, though, as it essentially means coaching is now allowed during matches. All right, guys, age-old question, is Wimbledon fast or slow? In 2011, Novak said mm-hmm. it's the fastest service we have in the sport. Last three years, though, people are complaining about the court speed. Opelka goes on the Craig Shapiro podcast a couple months ago, says it's slower than Roland Garros. Not true, but I mean, a bit of hyperbole there, but uh, okay, sure. We'll, we'll take that into consideration. Kyrgios in 2021, this isn't grass anymore. He complained. They did switch out the grass, the type of grass, I believe. But I mean, we, we should still expect uh, quicker conditions here. Any thoughts on court speed, courts? Uh, any of the stuff I just talked about. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Sackman, who's tennis abstract on Twitter and does has that website, which is phenomenal. It's all types of stats that anyone that hasn't taken a look at, it's super relevant and great analytics to look at. Just actually published a really good study about the rally ga- length gap uh, decreasing across all surfaces, but especially even between, or most notably, I should say, even between clay and grass. So either the technology whether it's technology, whether it's the service itself, but everything in the sport is contributing to a pretty similar feel of points across surfaces, much more than it used to be in the past where we had three truly distinct surfaces. So whether it's Wimbledon or otherwise, I think you're, it's not like we just see Wimbledon where players are stepping up, serving, volleying, obviously, and, and the rally length is is not you know just super short one, two slap type points anymore. I'm still treating it like it's quick. Look, slow grass is still not clay. It's still not Indian Wells. Like, I think there is a great tendency to overreact, especially within the tennis tennis community on social media, right? Medvedev is the greatest player on clay to ever exist now because he won Rome, gone first round of the French Open. Not surprised. We did this last year with Stefano Tsitsipas because he won Mallorca which the courts are terrible. They're, they play a, a tad slower in their own right, but there's, you know, it's still grass. Same thing goes with, you know, Corda at Queens. And now we, we have this every year where everyone's like, oh, it's slow at Wimbledon. You can't treat it like it's fast. No, it's still quicker than most surfaces. And it's by court and it might be just center court. And by the time you beat the crap out of the center court by the second Sunday, or by the time every match is played on that court, it's quickened up anyway because the grass has been beaten down and it's super slick again. So I would encourage people not to overthink it and not to get too deep into the weeds on believing that it's it's slowing down. I think the athleticism of players has also contributed to to the longer rallies, but it's still a court that Djokovic will dominate on, that Manorino is going to enjoy, that people who hit, you know, like the low contact point are still going to have uh, plenty of success on. So adjust minimally perhaps, but I would say don't alternate, don't alter your your plan of attack significantly. Otherwise you're going to end up losing more than you would have because you've overreacted to something. I'm interested to hear what you guys think, but I honestly think that the biggest difference is just movement. I think players that are used to moving on the surface and are comfortable moving on the surface is more important than anything else. So even the guys that you're talking about that have those low hit points like Manorino are even more comfortable with those strokes where they don't really, they're not sprinting to the ball they're moving a little bit almost like they're not moving very comfortably very uh cautiously and i think that's what's providing the most comfort on the surface rather than being able to to hit hit, hit your strokes on the surface or just have a, a massive serve which also does still work as you note 
You mentioned movement. I, I've just been surprised at the prep falls that players have been having uh, all grass season so far. I mean, dudes are just straight up like falling down, like pulling off a physical comedy routine or something. I mean, yeah, totally. It's um, it's been interesting to see just how how much the footing really matters here, even compared to clay, which is you know very physical as well, and you got to know how to slide and all that. But I mean, I watched Kishmanovich just like fall on his face yesterday, like out of nowhere. I do think that a lot of these guys are still finding their feet, if you will, uh, on the surface, quite literally. Totally agree. And it's interesting. I, I gave credit to Manorino, but he literally, I don't remember what happened to his knee exactly, but he slipped on the grass against Roger and was uh, on track to beat him perhaps uh, 2021 in Roger's last Wimbledon. Fetters, sorry, his last Wimbledon. My, my good buddy, Roger. But Fetters last Wimbledon, and um, that cost him the match. That was that. And I don't think he played again until the U.S. Open. All right, guys. Uh, weather-wise here, we are going to potentially face some rain tuesday and wednesday this week uh, otherwise it should be pretty good conditions not too hot in the 70s low 80s uh, we are we are seeing some winds there were some winds uh at eastbourne this week winds could tick up into um on monday the, the start it looks like they can get up to 16 miles per hour something to consider john i know you were tweeting this week about uh, adjusting how you were playing a match because of the winds at eastbourne so if the winds do pick up um what did you see that made you adjust uh, your pick that was an add and that was mainly because it was really bad like it was noticeable like balls after coming off the racket were like swerving and changing where they were landing because it was so big that is also you know, probably up towards the 25, 30 mile an hour gusts. And we're not going to get that in London just because it's more inland than East. Eastbourne's right on the coast, right? So as you would expect, uh, when you're right on the ocean, you're going to get those or sea or whatever it is. You're going to get bigger or, or more heavier winds, gustier winds, if you will, when you're on the coast and cl- so close to the water. So I don't think we'll see a huge problem in London. And I don't know how much it would affect center court or some of the more covered courts or the ones that have more seating where the there's the building and or the structure itself can eat up more of the impact, but certainly something worth watching. And it's certainly going to eat up a bit of power from the ground strokes of, you know, the guys like Mark Andrea Huesler, guys that are super serve and first ball reliant, those guys, it can impact more so than a Francisco Serundolo or, you know, even a Mackie McDonald or certain players that have more solidity from the baseline and want to play those longer rallies. They're going to be the ones that benefit if there is, um, any serious impact from from the wind well let's do what we came to do here and let's talk out the the draw let's check out the quarters and uh, see who we like to make some runs here some potential dark horses sleepers if you will right after i talk to you about spotify for podcasters well let's talk the first quarter the mgm i do have this up Alcaraz is minus 140 to win this thing. Zverev is plus 550. Surprising. Runa is uh, plus 750. Tiafo at 9 to 1. Demonor 11 to 1. Berrettini 20. Dimitrov 25. Jari 33. Sinego 40. Wow. Complete disrespect for Sinego, which I can understand. Hmm. <laughs> um, I was, was going to say, he sucks. <laughs> you can talk me into Tiafo at 9 to 1 here. Yeah, I think two players that are bettable are Tiafo and Demonor. I think Tiafo's a big match player for sure. First of all, he steps up in Grand Slams historically. Even at the French Open, he looked really solid somewhere that he's not particularly happy, admittedly, on clay. So was encouraged by that. He's had some success at Wimbledon in the past. And then Demi Noor, I think the biggest appeal is just how fit he is. I remember he just completely outworked Jack Draper last year. And obviously Draper struggles with a bit of physical issues. But at the same time, if you trust someone to go deep and there's like a, a true value on anyone in, a, in an outright market which is typically tough it's, it's demon because 
he's just so fit and he's so comfortable on grass. And especially if Alcaraz, whatever he picked up at, in that final against Demon, even though he won, could be an issue, could linger down the line, anything we've seen with Alcaraz. And I think those two guys are the ones that could that could bake through. It's it's Tiafo and Demon. Yeah, I like Tiafo as well, nine to one. I've got him eighty to one to win the whole damn thing. That's because at the time I didn't have, I didn't see any quarter prices. Honestly, I have MGM here. I don't. I that's one of the places I haven't opened an account just yet. So I'll have to do that. It is accessible here. And I should probably do that before the rest of the market opens because if MGM is going to set the market, there's probably going to be some bad prices out there on tennis. <laughs> Let's be real. But yeah, Faux 9 to 1 will be my would be my play here. I like him 80 to 1 to win the event as well. He would be like plus 200, plus 250 against Djokovic. So, I mean, it, it kind of fits with him only being 9 to 1 here, but 79 to 1 or sorry, 80 to 1 on the overall. That's only what? two extra matches but those two matches would be whoever wins the second quarter plus Djokovic and Djokovic alone is going to be you're going to be multiplying um on a rollover by three and a half four uh times so yeah I mean I don't mind taking the quarter price as well as the outright plus it's um, on the other side of the the quarter from Alcaraz yes and he's on the Runa side which operating under Aruna fade as he's just won his first grass match like two weeks ago yeah, both Demon and Tiapo have made the fourth round here before, so they've been on the the brink of the quarters uh, in the past. Demon has made it two times to the fourth round, and he's got a nice little pathway here. He's taking on the qualifier from Belgium, then he's going to play the winner of Sinego Berrettini, Bruver, Zverev, Husler, Watsonuki. I mean, he's got a nice little setup to get to the fourth round, pretty easy. Same with Tiafo. Now, guys, this is completely disrespectful to not have a price up for Big Dom Stricker to get pretty deep in this thing. <laughs> I did say in the chat this morning, my one takeaway from this draw was three words, Big Dom Stricker. Now, 80 to me, one. 80, to, 80 one to one. To win the quarter? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now hear me. Okay, so that's pretty cute. <laughs> that's pretty huge, But because I was thinking that it actually would be shorter than that. But I was thinking he might not be a, a bad money line rollover, because if he gets through Popperin, which I think he will, because Popperin stinks. Popper lost to guest <laughs> stone last year at this event. In the first round, he's had a bad grass season so far. So I think he's got a pretty good shot against Popper. If he gets through Tiafa, which is a pretty big if, Tiafa will likely beat him. But he'll be a monster dog, right? He'll catch that. Then he's going to play like Bodic, Fokina, Dimitrov, Ivashka, Runa. He can beat any of those guys on grass. So I don't know, man. He, he's a player. That I, I He's a dark horse player to me. A, a name to watch. If he gets the three of five Popper. format scares me. The three of five scares me with him. That's all. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe he gets two tie break sets from foe and then foe gets tight and uh, coughs up the third one. That's uh, that his path to victory against foe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's grass it can happen. Let's move to the next one. And the second quarter, Daniil Medvedev is plus 300. Korda is plus 500. Andy Murray plus 550. Sitsipas, who is a top seed down here at plus 650, rightfully so, as he doesn't appear to care about tennis. Cam Nori plus 800. Now that's a pretty decent price. Ronich, 20 to 1. Tommy Paul, 20 to 1. Mano, Adrian Manorino. 25 to 1. Greek Sport, 25 to 1. Oh, Shelton down at 28 to 1. Fuchovic, who's made the quarters here before, as we just mentioned, 40 to 1. Those are the big prices, I think, to, to discuss the real contenders for this. O'Connell, 33 to 1. Had a decent grass season. Had a decent clay season. I think the most egregious price here has to be Tommy Paul. I thought he'd be the fifth or sixth. I didn't realize he'd be the seventh favorite on the board. Or I guess tied with Raonic, so he is... I guess this tied for six, which is where I thought he would be. I don't think that's where he should be considering one, uh, he's pretty good at tennis and two, he's got a beautiful little section here, right? I mean, Shintaro Mochizuki, good on him for getting here. 
really underpowered. Tommy Paul should pick him apart. And he came through a probably hurt Zombor Piros in that last round of qualifying. So a, a big grain of salt needs to be kind of taken when you when you look at his results and how he got to this point. Raonic is still coming back. Appears to actually be fitter than I think the last time we saw him in 2021 or 2020, whatever the hell he played. But that said, clear that his footwork is well be- well off the pace. Right against against Jordan Thompson, he won 12 total points on return. You beat Mio Kecmanovic. Good for you. That's not anything to write home about on grass. Was dismantled by Thompson. Simply can't return. I don't think he gets through Dennis Novak, to be perfectly honest with. Uh, Novak is qualified here. I think back to back years now. Big serve, huge forehand. He started. He's starting to get the time down on grass a bit more. Right. He's played enough now that he knows he doesn't have as much time to wind up and and hit his hit his ground strokes. So you look at Paul's section. Sedundulo is the other seed. Better than people think, but still not necessarily a natural grass quarter. Borges, the ever-mercurial Lehechka, Offner, Raonic, Novak, Mochizuki. How, like, I don't understand what's stopping Tommy Paul from being in the in the quarterfinal. Honestly, Paul, Greek Spore, and the other look I would have would be another one in that high-up range is Manorino. Those are the three I like here. I would take long shots. It's a wide-open section. You've got Pass and Medvedev. You've got metal hip Murray and you, you know, your, your guys, if you take these three, wouldn't play him for a few rounds anyway, when he'd already expended some energy. I really like going off the, off the board and, and taking some long shots just to win the quarter, not having to deal with Alcaraz, not having to deal with Djokovic and all three of them are 20 to one or better. I like where John's head is at. I'm really surprised he didn't shout out Marcy Fuksovic because he has a Wimbledon quarterfinal in his bag from two years ago. He is so comfortable on grass. 40 to 1 for me is a crazy price. I think he's, I mean, right behind, you know, Medcourt and Murray, maybe Cam Norrie. He's he's right there in that next group of players in terms of comfortability on the grass. I'm really hesitant with the guys that are playing in Eastbourne semis final Mallorca. So Manorino, I would want to stay away from because, I mean, he's been looking a little bit worn down all week. I think he's investing a lot of energy into it uh, to get another title, but I think that'll really show up in Wimbledon. Mackie. Sarundolo, Barrera, and Paul all have to play once or twice uh, this weekend ahead of Wimbledon with the rain delay. That leaves me with Fuchs, which can be completely well-rested. He pushed the heck out of Tiafo, who's looked like one of the most informed players on grass. He has the pedigree. He has the form. His path is not that bad with uh, Greek Spore. 50-50 match, and then he's got the winner of Giron and Delian again. Probably be favored there for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously against Delian, but also maybe slightly against Giron. And then you have Med. So he's beaten Med at a at a Grand Slam before. He beat him at Roland Garros. So who knows what he can do? He's he's. I think that's a phenomenal number. The one reason why you get the dip, the the discrepancy between even though the the match between the two of them is even money that would then beg the question why is Greeks worth twenty five to one and Fuchsvix is forty to one I think honestly Fuchsvix would be a larger underdog at least by my numbers against Medvedev than Greekspor would right he doesn't possess the raw power that which you need to kind of hit through Medvedev if you can do that and he doesn't come to net nearly enough right he loves standing on that baseline he is a baseliner through and through. Greek sport actually has come in quite a bit this year. I think he would be less of an underdog against Medvedev. It's why you see that price is a bit shorter, despite being fairly even in the head-to-head. I think Greek sport has the better shot of beating Medvedev as well on a quicker court, just because matchup-wise he will come in if he has to. He does have that that pure raw power that you kind of need against Medvedev, even on a quicker, especially on a quicker court. So I still think Greek sport, even though it's several dollars shorter, I still think Greek sport presents a bit more value 
uh, for me than Fuchsvix, but I, I totally get the Fuchsvix side of it. I just don't want to take both guys when one's guaranteed to be gone. I think Greekspar has the edge, has the form this grass season, and has the game to actually beat some of the bigger seeds in this uh, in this quarter uh, that I'd want to have in my pocket if I'm going to a third, fourth, and a third, fourth round of quarterfinal. Hear you on that. I don't mind Greekspar in that. It's a really a shame they're playing in the first round because I would take both of them. I think you're underrating Fuchsvich's willingness to come to net against Med, take time away. I think he has super underrated hands, and I think he can pose him some problems. I'd love to see that, either Griekspor or, or Fuchsvich. Super underrated kit as well. <laughs> <laughs> Always. And you know what? I Either way, if I lose my Griekspor ticket and Fuchsvich ends up there, I won't hate cheer against him. I will still cheer for him. I think everyone in this that listens to this podcast knows how I feel about Daniil Medvedev, knows how I feel about how <laughs> thoroughly unentertaining his his matches are to watch, right? He's just a much more talented version of Hubert Hurkacz in that sense. Like they are the most unwatchable players out there. Oh, I hammered a first serve and got a free point. Oh, I'm just going to do nothing from the baseline and slice everything back and hope you commit an error. It's unwatchable tennis. I'm sorry. He has antics. I'll give him that. That make things slightly entertaining. But I'll I'll cheer for Marty if uh, if he gets to that fourth round against Meds. Greek Spore's best finish here is round two last year, so he'll be breaking through uh, if he cashes that ticket. Uh, Tommy Paul has made the fourth round here. And he, yeah, I agree. He's got a pretty good setup playing a qualifier here in round one. Uh, Ronich or Novak. I mean, if Ronich is redlining on serve, that could be a second round exit for Tommy Paul. Uh, He'd have to do it for three sets, and he has to hope that his legs don't give out on him. Because if you're... The whole thing is if, if your legs give out on you, you can't serve bot because your serve is impacted by that fatigue. It's like in a two of three, okay, let's talk about Raonic maybe knocking Paul out. In a three of five, I just don't buy it. Corda's biggest hurdle, I think, is round two against Chris O'Connell. His next biggest opponent would be Cam Nori. Third, Third round. Cam Third Nori. round Corda. Nori. I think Gary Vesley could pose him problems. I'm not even kidding. For at least, sorry, for two I, sets. He's not going to beat him. I totally agree. I totally agree. Go go beyond two sets. I think Yuri Vesely somehow has underrated stamina. He 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 went five with with Bukina last year. That's crazy. That for was a year ago. Tie break. Fifth set fifth set tiebreak too. First set money line baby. First set money line. He's looking yeah, like more I, of a wagon. I I totally could see this. I, and Court is super confident. I talked with you about this, David. He's talking about I'm a Wimbledon contender. He's never done anything big. I didn't, did he make the quarter 2021? That's it. And he's still coming off a bit of injury. He's hasn't played a bunch. He looked awful against Carlos got completely railroaded by by a better player and I'm I'm in on that one John give me give me some Vesely action what about Laheshka 50 to 1 he snuck his way through the Australian Open to get uh I think he was in the quarterfinals there he doesn't have I will say he's that. in that section he's in the section you want to target in that second quarter right I know yeah Serundolo Paul section if you don't like Tommy Paul I guess you could look to someone like Laheshka I'd take him over Novak Raonic Mochizuki Offner, Borges, or or Serundal at the price Serundal is at. Yeah, I mean, that's if you don't like Tommy. The problem is I love Tommy Paul at 20 to 1 mm-hmm. in, from, in the weakest section of the quarter. Yeah, we've talked about Laheshka's uh, serve has actually been um, pretty pretty in fuego here on grass. He did get whooped by Alcaraz, but against you know other competition similar to his talent level, he, he's holding serve at a very high rate. All right, third quarter here. I don't like to say this. But Yannick Center plus 200, I'm glad it's super low because Yannick Center, his bet is so easy. It's very annoying. Uh, Taylor Fritz plus 500, Casper Rude plus 900, Chapo 12 to 1. Are you effing serious? <laughs> he should be like 25 to 1. Uh, RBA 14 to 1, Chorich 18 to 1, and that's going to be my pick. I'll talk him up here in a minute. Kashmanovich 25 to 1, 
Lloyd Harris, 25 to one after his run here in Mallorca. Barrera, 25 to one. And then a list of guys who I don't think are going to win the quarter. <laughs> so that's your top contenders. I'll make the case for George here. Now, George really hasn't done too much, but what if he plays like with Karan Hachanov out? What if he plays that that role here of uh, just a, a veteran top player who is just a little bit better than everybody else and can just snake his way through the draw into the quarterfinals. His path, Paya, who, you know, who we talked about was in the quarterfinals in 2019, but not exactly in, in form. He's going to take on the winner of Bonzi Mayo. He's going to take, take on RBA potentially in the third round. RBA not been very good. I mean, he could very easily find himself in the fourth round here. Uh, at 18 to 1. David, I'm in complete disagreement with you on this one. I'm going to push back. Born Church, lifetime, 1 and 4 at Wimbledon. And I thought he's looked like Bambi on ice thus far on grass. He's just looked brutal and he's been dealing with some serious serving issues. Tons of double faults, both against Mackey. Same issue against Boblik. They both crushed him. Bautista Agut, 14 to 1, loves Wimbledon, 19 and 7 all time, has a semi and reached the semis in Hala. Looked really nice, beat Med. Not like John's impressed by that, but also beat Nakashima, very <laughs> solid grass quarter. Bavasori, solid player. And uh, didn't look bad against Rublev, maybe just a bit out of gas. Wasn't great, for sure. Definitely a bit of a let-up, but now he's got a week off. I don't think he's uh really has fitness issues. We saw that against Kranovich at Monte Carlo, where he just completely was still able to wear him down. Also has a decent path. Uh, Safulin, and then the winner of Gasquet Moutet, where he would be an even bigger favorite. And then... Your boy Chorich, maybe, or, or Bonzi, maybe, maybe Guido Pea, but none of those are particularly concerning for him. And I think he has the pedigree. You know, this generation of player really doesn't love the grass or pay much attention to it. But but Robbie Bats, man, he absolutely does. And 14 to 1, take that all day. That's that's just about my favorite quarterback here. I'm closer to Bobby Bats with you than I am with uh, Borna at 14 to 1. I think giving up a few bucks is not an issue. It's obviously this side of the section, right? Because Sinner and Fritz are the only two that really stand out at all. Like th- those two guys in that particular, that you could almost bet that right now to be the fourth round matchup. That, that is a derivative mark. And I wonder what that price would come out at because I legitimately think it happens barring an injury to center, which has to be factored into your calculus because that would, as if, as long as he starts to terminate, that would cost you the bet if he withdraws or retires. But outside of that, I don't see where a loss comes from at a great clip to stop that from being a fourth round matchup. But if you want to take a quarter price, I agree. In that second, that second eighth here, Lloyd Harris, I'd love to take Lloyd at 25 to one, but long week of Mallorca still hasn't really shown us the legs are there completely yet, or he's been able to back up results. So best three of five off a long week. I'd love to take him. I just can't. I might throw 10 bucks on Radu Albot. But the issue with him is he's like he's like four to one just in the first match alone. So your rollover is probably going to blow that blow the cap off that between beating Shapovalov and then beating a Sinner or Fritz. He's not going to do it. But I love watching Radu on quick courts. His game plays up a little bit, and his kind of tennis IQ is. I said it this morning on a on a Twitter space. It's the polar opposite of Denis Shapovalov's, right? Where Shapovalov doesn't really have one in terms of his ability to think through points on court. Albot really does. So that should be a fun first rounder. Shapovalov either wins like 3-3-3 and if he's finding his range. Otherwise, he could actually be in trouble right off the hop against Radu. But I don't have any futures here, I don't think, at the the prices we have, just because I'd want to target that second eighth, and I'm not in love with anything. Although, like I said, Bautista Agut, probably the one I'd lean towards at 14. That's fair. I think Agut could lose to Civilian, but it's fine. It's fine. He could. He could. But this is a, a rare instance where I would actually favor the outright strongly over the 
single matches because I think if he can get by Safulin, he's got a pretty clear cut path to that center. And he's and he's match. overvalued in that Safulin match. Like he's he's a minus three hundred. I was surprised by that, especially considering he's fourteen to one to win the quarter. Much prefer that quarter price than backing him against Safulin head to head. I think yeah. Roman could take a set or two off of him, but at a best of five matchup, I'm taking I'm taking Bautista Agut on a service on a surface he's good on with his counter-punching ability against the pace of Safulin, with his history and experience, and with his fitness edge here. I just think it's a lot to overcome for Roman. All right. Well, you guys have talked me into RBA, even though it's just so boring to pick him. I guess he's a good bet always in these things. He's a, he's a really good player. He just loves grass, and he's a vet. I saw a great stat on, on Tennis TV, which was, you know, like the most the players with the most active wins on, on grass are all 34 and up. The youngest guy is either, I'm not sure exactly which one's older, but it was Chilich or, or RBA. What about a dart throw on Halis at 40 to 1? He's been I mean, playing he, on clay. He has, but if he gets through Evans, I'm saying if he gets to, I guess for me, like he is like the guy I would want center to face in the third round to like take a shot on to fade center. Because he's yeah, gonna... agree, but I don't think he's prioritizing the grass. He's only played two matches at Wimbledon. He's 0 2. I don't think he. You know, it's it's he's not the type of game where you would expect him to be a clay court guy where he really loves playing on clay over the faster courts, but it's even the case where I think he's a little bit better at Indian Wells in Miami as well. And uh he's legitimately hasn't played grass courts tournaments. Not that he couldn't get into him, but just in favor of playing clay court challengers. So I'm not enamored with Alice. Fritz obviously has played himself out of the the conversation at the moment and honestly his quarter price at five to one. I mean, you could extract some value out of that down the, the line i guess could be the buy low spot for taylor yeah i agree i i mean i de- I, I definitely don't think like we should just count him out based off what he's done so far in this grass season which is nothing he's been terrible yeah well it's also a, a, think... a, a sweet draw for him a sweet draw for him outside of hampton but even even hoffman on the first round like is it really that that tough of a match perhaps hoffman shouldn't be plus 340 or whatever he is but he certainly shouldn't be plus 150 either. You know, like yeah. Fritz is still a definitive favorite there. And then his section, my God, Emer Molchan, and then either Kepfer, Ota, Galan, or Nishioka. I think that price of five to one is a function of he's basically got several easy matches to go before playing Sinner, who hasn't shown the ability to play three or four matches in a row in best of three lately, let alone best of five. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't mind Fritz at five to one. That's, a 16% implied probability. Look at the rest of this this quarter. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Of the top Agreed. two seeds here, I would much prefer Fritz at five to one versus Sinner. Yeah, it's a it's a coin flip against Yannick too, isn't it? Well, not much to really discuss here in this last quarter with uh, Novak. He's at minus 400 to win it. <laughs> I mean, you could just pocket some stuff small uh, staking. Uh, and just hope Novak gets hurt. I mean, he has been hurt throughout this calendar year. So there is that chance, you know, but that's, you, you're kind of, but it is kind of a lotto play. You're hoping he hits a ball kid or a lines person or he gets hurt. Literally. Just cheering my for fun, a 14 my, year old my, to get hurt. Yeah. My my fun fact is that I had med futures in that 2020 US Open and I thought I hit the lottery. But alas, Dominic team came through. Rublev is the second favor on the board at 12 to 1. Kyrgios 12, 12, to 1. 12 to 1. Second favorite is 12 to 1 in the next quarter. That's great. Nuts. Maybe Nick, if, but he he's just not healthy. No, I wouldn't. Even at 12 to 1, I don't really love that. Uh, he's just but, not healthy, yeah. I mean, FAA has done nothing, Felix, but 22 to 1. It's got to be a yeah, he's, bust. He's, always, he's also carrying injuries. I agree with John on this in this regard. If there's anyone to, to throw a dart on, it's Bublik. 
Bublik or Busnick? The drop shots, the changing the rhythm, the coming in, he'll come into net. He's athletic for his size, huge first serve for cheat points. You got to have those cheat points against Novak on grass. Like Nick actually made it not ultra close. I don't think we thought, okay, he's going to win the title last year in that final. But, you know, he was able to keep himself within striking distance because he did find the cheat point here and there. Bublik has that ability. And then, you know, Felix has it too, but Felix doesn't have the net presence, doesn't have the willingness to come into net, certainly doesn't have the touch and feel for the like drops or slices or whatever for the variety that Bublik does. And so I think you got to, but for me, if he wins this quarter, I'd much rather be on the 120 to one on the outright that that's over um, that I got at Unibet than a 14 to one to win his quarter. If he's going to beat Djokovic, hell, like Alcaraz could beat him. Yes. Other than that, there's no one in the top half that I'm, that I'm going to be scared of think about it. if he if he does do that he'll be like on a on a 10 match winning streak on grass including a 500 title a, a win over Djokovic and at that point there's no way he's tanking out if Bublik tanks out of this it's going to be in like the second or third round it ain't going to be in, in the semifinal so I'd almost rather the 120 even the 80 or 90 to one I think I like more than a 14 here on the quarter totally agree good thing he's not beating Novak I would love to see Bublik get uh, deep into this. Uh, however, I do think that uh, Bublik fade uh, might be worthwhile uh, coming up because uh, as he is a mercurial type player, I do feel like he just got the the big carcass that's going to feed his family for the next three months, uh, and <laughs> and he's he's not going to resurface uh, to top prowess until that uh, that carcass is gone to to bring home another one. I now picture him as just this giant vulture and his arms or his wings flapping. Like, this is what I'm now picturing Alex Bublik as. We should just call him the vulture on the pod from now on. The vulture. <laughs> all right. We've said it all on the draw. Let's move to some some match play picks, guys. Round one bets here. I have one I, I've written up here and examined. I can talk about. Uh, Tomas Echeverry and Zapata Morales, two traditional clay quarters are now playing on grass they have the total jacked up here to 38 and a half however i still like the over in this one i would prefer the set betting uh, always with these grand slams much different uh, environment than uh, the three sets uh, where you it's much easier to get the total over in a three set format versus five set looking to play set overs more but i don't really have prices on that I, and i imagine this one at 38 and a half it'll be uh, a little jacked up maybe like minus 160 uh, to get to over three and a half sets here. Um, but Echeverry got beat this past week of straight sets versus JJ Wolf and Eastbourne in his first match in grass. He has one win on grass uh, in his career, and that was in qualies of Wimbledon in 2021. This will be a six-career tour-level match on grass. Uh, he did go to five sets last year with Ugo Umber, who is a great grass player, so that's something. Uh, but Zapata Morales has qualified twice for Wimbledon last year and in 2021. However, he's still looking for his first main draw win. Uh, Echeverry has more weapons in this matchup, but I expect a good battle here. I think five sets is in play in this one. I don't know how you guys feel. I like the over, 38 and a half here. I like where the, the money line price point is because I do think that Echeverry is the slight favorite for the reasons you mentioned. Having a few more weapons, the serve plus one will be a little more effective, which is important, obviously, on, on the quicker surface. I also think there it's just hard to see a situation in which Echeverry does win this in straights. So I kind of get that over that overlook. Uh, Zapata is a lot more solid. We've seen guys like, I mean, Carbaez Baena has won sets in the past on grass. I think he won one in Mallorca against Elie Vashka in, in that matchup this year. Zapata Miralles is someone who has a bit of pop on that forehand. Now, a lot of that success or when he's aggressive was on clay because it was a heavy forehand and that's not going to be as effective. But it's not like he's playing a grass court aficionado who's going to take that 
top spin heavy forehand and just rip it back. It's Thomas Echeverry. So I, I get the over. I, I don't mind that look at all. I think Zapatomirais has the solidity. Echeverry has the weapons. Neither is particularly great or experienced on the surface. It does scream a very close match. Lorenzo Musetti taking on another clay quarter here in uh, Juan Pablo Vareas, who's had a pretty good year in 2023. However, I'm back in the under 30 and a half in this match. Uh, JPV hasn't played since the French. Lost in the opening round of qualies here the last two years. His only matches ever on grass. Musetti has had a, a pretty decent grass season. He's picked up his first wins on grass. Been playing some exos in, in the lead up to this. Uh, this week, I think that the 30 and a half is pretty generous, and uh, I'm going to take a shot. Uh, even if you get a 7 6 set here, I think you can get a 6 2 set, 6 1 set from the Massetti side. Uh, I think the 3 0 is probably going to be juiced. So I'll, I'll take a shot that uh, Musetti uh, gets this done in, in three in, in pretty easy fashion. I do not like to trust Musetti, generally speaking, and we saw why against. Uh, Holger Rune is that the mental is always just bound to to either go for a period of time or for an entire match. And Rios is pretty mentally solid, obviously a clay quarter at heart, but has a big forehand, pretty flat strokes. I think I would actually personally stay away from it, but I think in theory, Musetti is far more comfortable on grass at this point. So it's not a bad look. Well, I wonder what that game spread will be because if you get an early three or four holds from Varillas because he does have a half decent serve forehand combo and it might take Musetti a minute or two to, to kind of time up uh, on return like that serve on in his return games would a live look here a live spread look be something to go for I mean if Musetti jumps out to a four love lead you're done but I wouldn't hate taking like a minus six and a half I mean it, 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 taking those numbers on a grass court just seems nuts in men's tennis but I wouldn't mind splitting my my stake you know what I mean half pre-match half live if Barrias does find a few holds okay it's minus eight I don't know if I'm taking an eight yeah at this point I I, I don't want to just like blind pass on it because I do get the the handicap but I do agree I think there could be a lopsided set along the way I would just rather Varias find a few service holds early knock that down to a minus six and a half and then jump on Muzetti live and bank on him growing into the match as it progresses right that second and third set more like you find a dominant set there six and a half is very easy to cover um, if you can get a 6-2 along the way. All right, those are the first two I have noted. Uh, John, do you have anything on your card? Yeah, Dennis Novak, and as I alluded to, uh, we'll call it foreshadowing because that would make it seem like I'm smart and did that intentionally, right? So we'll, we'll go ahead and say it was foreshadowing that I've got Dennis Novak against Milos Raonic. Look, prove it. Milos has to prove it to me on grass. Well, he beat Kichmanovic. Yeah, Kichmanovic doesn't have, I don't think he, at least for me, the weapons of Dennis Novak. I'm not saying Dennis Novak is the biggest server and forehand guy on earth but look Milos was a step or two behind against Jordan Thompson his footwork is not there and that means on return he's going to really struggle to track balls down especially on a lower bouncing kind of skittish and, and fast court like that works against you if you're a step behind on clay okay like you have the time to still maybe get there and slice something back at least make your opponent play another ball or two on grass you're just not there it, it's hitting the frame of your racket and flying into the crowd or you're reaching out and it's it's too far away and it's a winner so for me, Novak has the service game to just hold everything against Roundage. So now Roundage needs one to hold every service game of his own. That's plausible. So we can give him that. Two, he needs to be able to do that for three, maybe four, maybe five sets. That's where I'm a disbeliever. That's where I come in and say, all right, the, the legs, I don't think he's he's going to be able to, to sustain 30, 40, 
service game. What, what's the max? 30 service games, six times five? Yeah. So I, I don't know if he's able to sustain himself for 20 to 25 service games. And Novak w- would, more often than not, eventually find a break as you get into that third, fourth set situation. So I'm not tr- I don't trust Roundich's return game, and I don't trust his stamina enough to have him as, what is he, a minus 175 favorite? Really? He's one and one since he came back. I think he withdrew from, did he play Queen? No, he, he played Queen's Club, didn't he? No, he withdrew from Queen's Club, I believe. Milos did not play Queen's. Yeah, he with, he was in, and then he withdrew. So that's, you know, another kind of makes you wonder, because he was supposed to play Thompson again. Uh, I do remember they were supposed to have that rematch, and the books didn't adjust enough, and then he, he ended up withdrawing. So you get Milos, who's withdrawn from his second event. He's played two matches in years. The second one, he did not look good. He actually fatigued after a set in that second in that second match against Thompson, right? He held his own, although Thompson had his chances in the first set. By the time the second set came around, you could see that Milos's legs were not in it. Now he has to do this best of five, and you're making him minus 175. This is disrespect. This is a reputational kind of line. You've got Milos, who's known as a good grass quarter, has made a final at Wimbledon in the past that was a completely different player against Novak. While he's more of a clay quarter, he's been on the challenger tour. Okay, guys qualified back-to-back years now at Wimbledon. He played at Roehampton. He played very well last week. You know, doubt him at, you know, at your own peril. I think I like that price at plus money, especially plus 150 yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think that's a, a good analysis. Avery, you got something you're targeting. Yeah, I got two that I love. Uh, and as I also alluded to earlier, I'm happy to fade these guys that are going deep in Eastbourne in Mallorca this week. And the first is Francisco Serundolo, who looks like he'll be playing uh, in the final of Eastbourne. We're in a rain delay suspension for, for the evening, and he's up 5-2 on Mackey. So either way, I still stand by this. But I actually think Borges is pretty capable. Nuno Borges, Borges sorry, is, is pretty capable on grass. Uh, and he's also a very fit, very, very, very fit guy. Uh, I think he'll be happy to play a really long match with Sarundolo. And if there's one thing we know about Sarundolo, it's that he's not going to get cheap points a lot of the time. The forehand on the plus one is big, but other than that, the serve isn't going to do a ton for him. Borges is going to get way more out of his serve on grass. And he also came through uh, first round matches, both five setters, the French Open and the U.S. Open the last two times out. Lost to Sonego, I believe, in four at the Australian Open. And he's been doing all right on grass. I believe he reached the semifinal of a challenger. Uh, it was in Nottingham. Uh, he lost to Murray, who's obviously going to be too good for him, so no problem there. And then he struggled a little bit since then, losing to Tirante and uh, Baez, which is a particularly bad loss. But mm-hmm. there's a big difference in intensity, I'm going to think, from a, a 250 and a, a not a 1,000, sorry, a Grand Slam, the biggest tournament in the sport. And so because of that, I love Borges at, at plus 280. Flat strokes. All the motivation in the world, fitness edge, serve edge. I love it. The second is Jan Choinsky against. Hold on, real, real quick. I will no, I will note that Sarundalo is a two-time yeah. round one loser this event. I'll also, I want to jump in real fast on that match too because yeah. I think the Baez loss I was pissed about, and I had Borges there minus games, and I was like, I actually jumped over this match initially because I'm like, no, nah, you lose to Baez, you're done, you're dead to me. As you make that case, I also realized that's a bad, particularly a bad matchup for Borges. Because the one thing Sarundula will do that Baez doesn't is give up some unforced errors as well, right? He he will sail a ball looking for an angle with that inside-out forehand a foot wide. Baez just makes everything. And his first serve, if even on clay, backing up his first serve is something he does decently well. Now, Borges, they're kind of terrible matchup, right? He's he's more of a high, high-end challenger, low-end ATP tour guy, bases his game on consistency, bases his game on, like you said, fitness, stamina. I mean, that's he's just going up against an ATP Tour guy that does the same thing when he goes up against Baez. Against Sedundo, at least you have that 
that that uh, stylistic contrast. So there is a path to victory there. Wear down Citadel off a long week, get coax some errors out of him. It makes a lot more sense. Like I'd rather have Borges go up. I know I know this sounds nuts because Citadel is way better than Baez, but I'd rather him go up against a stylistic contrast where at least he can kind of work an angle versus Baez where he just doesn't know what to do to come through. This podcast is a routine Borges dog backer, so like it. <laughs> I like Nuno. I think he's he's solid for uh even though he's in that range that John talked about. So the second, then I apologize for rushing, is Gian Choinsky against Lajevic. And it's not that Choinsky, even though he's British or German British, is particularly fond of the grass. He likes to spend his time on clay and he's career two and eleven on grass, but he has been playing events on grass. He has been training on the grass. And at the end of the day, if you win a match at Wimbledon, that's all that matters uh in a in a real grass season. Even though he would have loved to pick up some wins, he didn't look bad against Musetti at, at Queens. And I generally think he's capable with a bigger first serve. His strokes aren't flat, so perhaps that's why he doesn't like playing on the grass, likes the time that the clay affords him. But Lajevic has been out since the French Open where he withdrew in a second set match against Zhijin Zhang. Who knows what we see from him? And at plus 170, I think Choinsky's a really solid play. Lajevic, I believe, is 6-23 and 23 is what I charted on the grass. And hates it. He's a, a slow court player, clay, Indian Wells type courts, and is super vulnerable here for me. Uh, yeah, well, he's injured. Uh, listen to the Craig Shapiro podcast. He uh, talks about his injury. So uh, there you go. Is he going to play this match? Is this really happening? I, I didn't. That's, See, that's that's the unique part about tennis that's so great with handicapping is you literally have players, individual talking about their injury. I didn't know about this, but all the more reason. When when was this released, David? I want to say it was the day after the French Open. Because I talked about Novak winning. Oh, yeah. All the more. I mean, as of now, he's in the draw. And the other thing, too, again, now I've 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 taken a little bit away from particular in-match matchups, if you will. Not to repeat that word, but I used to think, okay, this guy's got a great forehand to go against X backhand or, or whatever. But then you realize that the player actually has to execute that, right? And a lot of times they just don't. They get out of that. But if Jan Huinsky is just going to hammer serves on a on a low-bouncing grass court into that one-handed backhand, the one thing he does have is a big serve right his ground strokes are he's like a serve and grind guy and yeah he does probably like that's why altitude clay on the challenger circuit is where he thrives right he's got the serve to take advantage of it he's also got the spin on his ground strokes that's his ideal but he's got the serve and if he can hammer away at that Lajevic one-handed backhand and that serve isn't popping up into the optimal striking zone for Lajevic now he's got to deal with a ball way too like with a much lower contact point than he's comfortable with and that he's going to have a hard time returning just because of how big it is and how fast the courts are. There is that particular matchup edge there for Hwinski. Now, will will he exploit it is a different thing. Trust me, how many times I bet Chapo because it's like, oh, this is a good matchup. And then he just goes on to play like not trying to target hit strength versus weakness for him that, that he has in a matchup. So again, the players have to execute, but it's certainly there for him. What about Jordan Thompson is at pick with yes. Brandon Nakashima? I yeah. mean, what are we what are we doing here? That was where I wanted to go next. Honestly, I wanted to go to that one. I mean, Brandon Nakashima, look, man, kid is good. You can't deny it. He's got both ground strokes. He hits flat. He's got a good serve. He holds at a pretty decent rate for a guy that doesn't have a monster serve. But by that, by the same token, like flip it around. And for a guy his size with his build, you should not be breaking it like 13% over the course of an entire season. He is one of the worst returners for a guy who's not six foot ten that I have seen in a long time. And I don't think that's unique to this year either. I mean, the average on tour, I think Sackman was on a podcast I was listening to, and 
he mentioned the average for the men is somewhere in the 22 to 24% range. Uh, and you, you know, you want to be in that 35 to 40% range of return points one. And Nakashima's his, his break percentage is down. And this is across surfaces. This, this is not just on grass season where you, where you'd expect it to be lower. Was it 14.4% before the Vukic match that had, I think one break in it for him when he broke back in the third, it's just bad. And Thompson has a game that plays up on the grass. He likes it. He likes the lower bounce. He's in form. I don't I don't see how this is a pick. I mean, honestly, if you're going on talent, okay, I, I get why you make this a pick. But if you want to go on form, if you want to go on grass court comfort, if you want to go on better returner, and you want to factor in all the things that, you know, frankly matter in a handicap, Thompson's the better player here. Like, case closed at this stage, right? Not, not overall, I should say. Fitness-wise, too. I mean, Thompson, I feel like, can play all day, and Nakashima has uh, an expiration date. He just doesn't have a lot of matches in him. If it's going to go five sets, I kind of trust. I mean, Nakashima just, like, choked it against Vukic this week. Thompson was in the final of a grass event. He's been, I think he was in final two grass events already this grass season. That's a great bet, no matter what. I think he was in the Dutch final against Greek Sport, but he lost to Nori in Queens and then lost to Feli in Mallorca both before the final. Well, I mean, you can throw some context around the, the Feli loss, right? I mean, that's Custard's last stand type vibe. Uh, and then yeah, also... Yeah, beast mode from Feli. Yeah, and sure. um, he was in the final, though, against Murray at the Challenger. Right. I'm discounting the Challenger. Yeah. You're totally right. He did um, have some knee issue at the end of that match against Lopez. One thing to consider. He was limping a bit. Of course, we don't have any good, useful um, injury information. I want to talk about Lofthagen. Lofthagen. What's his name? George Loft? Hagen, I mean, he opened up 12 to 1 against Holger Runa. So that leads me to believe that when we get the just to win a set market, it'll be pretty juiced. And I definitely think he could get to a tie break and win a set at a plus money price. He did blow I just it wish against he had something more to his game, like other than his serve. Yeah, but if you're hanging, if they're hanging like plus 200 just to win a set, if you're going taking the, if yeah, he can get agreed. to a tie break, they're just agreed. And, and, and Holger's willing to, to toss some games for sure. Maybe even tank a set sometimes, like he did against Sarundolo in the in the French Open. It's already come down. People apparently have. I, I mean, I feel like he should be like eight or nine to one, not twelve to one. Not that I want to play that, but just as a huge price against someone with the big serve. Little else, I, uh, I'll admit, but still. I mentioned Laheshka. He's down at minus one fifty five against Offner, who did, I believe, make a final on grass here at the Challenger level uh, that he lost to our guy Bakubler. Kubler. What do you think about that matchup, John? That's uh, it's a what, minus one fifty five. I'd be willing to climb up to a, a money line price on Laheshka if you're you're not too intimidated by Offner's serve. Yeah, you can get down to minus one thirty five at Pinnacle now. He opened minus one twenty, which seems nuts to me. I just I I don't like Yuri Laheshka matches, man. I like you know you know me when when it comes to Laheshka, it's just the game is is. He has the game here to be a minus 180, minus 200 favorite. He's also a guy that at minus 135, I still don't trust, which tells you all you need to know about how replicable his game is. And if, you know, he's like a dog or pass kind of guy for me, right? I I, I, li- I love him as a dog with his weapons when he's plus 150 against uh, top 15, top 20 players. I don't really feel the need to to play him against a guy like Offner because the, the main issue I have here too is not only are you laying juice to back a guy that is super erratic, but it only takes one service game to be thrown away to lose the set, right? He's not playing a softer server who needs the grass for it to play up. And even then you can still work your way into points. He's playing a big server in Sebastian Offner. So if he has one game in, in the first set, one game in the third set that he gets super erratic, commits three on four stairs and gets broken in, 
it's likely he's lost that set. Again, do that once in the first, once in the third. Now you're you're sweating your balls off on a minus 135. It's just an easy pass for me with Lajka. All right. I've seen my guy Luca Van Ash, the Ashinator, is climbing as a dog versus Aslan Karatsev. He's plus 145. I'm willing to play Van Ash here against Karatsev, who I think actually made some improvement on grass. Uh, during this grass season and, and van ash has very little grass data just started playing it over the last few weeks but man like karatsev's gonna have to be pretty on point with the shots versus van ash to win that comfortably as a guy who can cop up 50 plus errors in a five-set match man i like van ash it, if it gets up to plus 150 that's a must play for me yeah i saw that one and i, I wasn't entirely in love with it but i i can totally see how someone could be in love with this one. Got to other side this one on you too, Dave. <laughs> um, the, the one thing I will say is I'm not laying the games with Karatsev. I would lay the sets. Uh, I don't mind, like the minus one and a half sets is the same price as minus three and a half games. And we all know Aslan Karatsev and, and how he goes about things. If Anash gets four one up, that you know, that singular break serve first, four one up. I am petrified that Karatsev is tanking that one four service game and saying, moving on to the next set. You know what I mean? Like I am deadly afraid of a six a one six and then you're now minus eight and a half and your bet is dunzo i don't mind but on on the sets market like you lose your set fine the games and the margin don't matter on the minus one and a half sets go out and and hit through the quick courts find your breaks of serve and your other three sets and off you go The, the thing here though is there a bigger stylistic contrast in this uh kind of main draw than these two like karatsev is c ball hit ball hit ball hard and Van Ash is can't couldn't even possibly imagine seeing ball hitting ball and hitting ball hard, right? Like it's all slice and dice, work the court, precision. This is this to me is a must-watch matchup. I'm gonna drop my thread on Twitter, uh, like I do for the Wally's first rounds of the first round matches to watch. This has to make the list because you got two talented guys for completely different reasons that should play a really entertaining match. And hopefully it's done in straight sets. If it's done in four, I'd be okay with that too. I don't want it to go five for selfish reasons, but I do think this one could be uh, at least entertaining in the way the points play out. I forgot to talk about my trends here that I, I'll just touch on real quick. We don't have to dive deep into it, but seeded player losses uh, historically here. 2022, last year, six. 2021, 11. 2019, six. 2018, 10. 2017, six. 2016, four. So in the last six years, only... Two years out of six have uh, double-digit seeds fallen in the in the first round. Now with a couple, you know, big names out like Achanov, even Struth, who's been red hot, he's not playing. Uh, some guys have, I think, have, who would have been seeds are out, and some other guys have now gotten seeds, so that might tick up a little bit. But the seeds historically held pretty strong qualifiers. These guys have battled hard to get in here, winning three matches to do so, but they don't typically do well only five won their first round match last year four in 2021 five in 2019 six in 2018 2017 a little bit more at seven 2016 with five and uh, i'll use that to tee up taro daniel uh who i think could be one of the qualifier wins against my guy ben shelton which i hate to say but he's plus 175 against shelton shelton bringing in the monster serve it's going to take him a long way here on grass but daniel is pretty fit man and shelton is a guy who, over the course of time, tends to fade. If Shelton wins, wants to win this, I feel like he's got to do it in three. What do you guys think? Tara's got a great fitness for sure. Shelton has a double fault problem. 
Yeah, I, I, I think Tarot can certainly compete here. Yeah, it's it's one of those that I'll pass on as well. Uh, I probably want plus 200 or better. Not probably. I definitely want plus 200 or better uh, to consider Daniel on a like quicker grass court because Shelton, I, there is a double fall problem. There's a raw talent problem. I think one of the biggest things I've noticed watching him doing tape study is the decision making. He, he sets up, he doesn't set up points well. His power sets up points well and gives him a, an easy shot to finish with. And he just goes, he tries to get too fancy and go back behind someone who isn't even trying to recover to the center of the court is giving up the point, right? He, he gets fancy, goes in behind them, but you can't go in behind them. They're standing right there. They haven't moved, right? They're still in that same corner. It's their only prayer is if you hit it back to them. And he does things like that all the time. And I'm just, I'm really petrified. He's going to end up being like Dennis Shapovala. We still have several years to go for him to develop and, and develop that kind of tennis IQ. But holy cow, you talk about double faults. You talk about big hitting and unforced errors. He, it, it's scaring me because I like Ben Shelton. I like watching him play. He's ultra talented. But he does seem like a, a potential Dennis Shapovalov where four times a year he'll make a deep run when everything clicks. But there's no margin to his game. And it just takes one or two bad sets in the first three rounds of a tournament and he's gone. And that's what I get the feeling of right now with him. So like I said, he's got years before he's in that Dennis camp and I have to worry about it. But uh, I, I kind of like Daniel, but again, I wouldn't take it a, a plus 200 because he does have the power and the serve to negate, you know, hitting two unforced errors every game. He could still hold uh, the vast majority of the time just by by finding the free points that Daniel, quite frankly, can't. Well, we're recording this like right after the lines have opened. Like we don't even have games spread up for a lot of these. I, I think we could get to plus 200 by uh, first serve. So it, yep. it could get to a playable number. All right. Any other final bets as we wrap up here? Yeah, Albert Ramos Vignolas, um, money line. You're no I'm kidding. <laughs> Just had to get my Hubie hate in one more time. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask but... if we have to autoplay the over 34 and a half here. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Okay, in all seriousness, the first set tie break there for I, I'm not even kidding. If Ramos Vignolas has a chance, it's going to be early, it's going to be holding, and it's going to be before Hubert. Even Hubie can time up his service games, right? Like that's it's kind of where Ramos Vignolas is at in his career. But before he gets like a a look at them, I mean, he took Arthur Rinderknecht to two tie breaks, and I don't want to be results oriented and like recency bias my myself into a play here. But I honestly think Ramos Vignolas with that that lefty serve out wide on the ad side is going to find a lot of success against. I know Hubert Hubie's backhand is a stronger uh, kind of weapon for attacking, but he should. Like defensively, it's not my favorite if he can't slice it. And if he can pull him off court with that, he can come in and take a plus one backhand cross court to the open um, open end of the court frequently. And I think that's something he could use. I'm, I wouldn't take the money line. That was a joke. I don't, I honestly do not hate um, that, that first set over. I, again, I wouldn't take the over on the, on the match. I think Hubie does eventually find, uh, the timing on serve, but he's just that bad of a returner that even against Ramos Vignolas, it might take him four or five service games to to for everything to click. And the over nine and a half, it's not out yet at, at any of the books or Pinnacle has the 10 and a half plus 190 and the tie break at plus 275 on. Oh, I don't even know if those are playable now that I didn't look up the prices beforehand. I don't know if that's playable, but I, I do think that there's a chance that Ramos keeps things close for at least one set. All right. Well, we've said it all for round one. We could talk about this for hours, but we can't. <laughs> we, should, we have to move on with our lives. Follow Avery at a Zimmerman underscore one. Check out the action network that John will be writing and Avery will be editing. 
There'll be lots of matchups handicapped over this fortnight there. Follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Follow our show at MP9 Tennis. Do subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time for round two, see you on the court.